I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those principles and cultivate those virtues that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest today, Professor John Schaff, uh, a regular guest on our program, Professor of Political Science at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota, author of many books, I think most recently, uh, Abraham Lincoln and the Limits of Liberal Democracy, which we discussed on this show about a year ago, and also a frequent Uh contributor to such uh, excellent online publications like the Front Porch Republic and uh, the Public Discourse, places that um, if you are interested in, in the world of faith and politics, good governance, uh, natural law, these themes, these, these are going to be really great places to check out. Professor Schaff, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us once more. Always a pleasure to be here. It's very exciting. Well, well in, our, in our, uh, our topic today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, technology today, which is um, something when you suggested the topic, it right away just like, I don't know, I got, I got a little excited. It's one of my favorite topics as, as readers of um, the Bishop's Bulletin in the Diocese of Sioux Falls may, may remember, I did a, a little short piece last year um, commenting on um, I, gender ideology and some other things, but, but made the point that one of the features of our modern age is we've kind of got the confluence of these, of these two occurrences. One, sort of this autonomous will. Whereas if I want it, it's good. Like uh, sort of this radical individualism where whatever I want, I can have. Yet, and at the same time, technology like the world has never seen before that really empowers a lot of these um, human desires, be they good or ill. Uh, that, that, uh, th- that idea isn't, isn't my idea. I've, of course, picked it up from many, many other thinkers. But when you said you wanted to talk about about some of the problems of technology in the modern day, and then specifically, maybe what the rule of Benedict, uh, the rule of St. Benedict might have to offer us. I just thought, yes, let's talk about it. One of the questions when we start thinking about technology, it is, I, I think, really important to think critically about it rather than accepting just sort of every technological possibility um, with, it, with an uncritical eye. So maybe a good place to start would be family. It's kind of a building block institution mm-hmm. within civil society. What are some of the problems that technology brings to the family and maybe even to faith? Yeah, well, I think let, let's start with, I want to just do a little bit. Uh, I have a sort of pet interest, uh, if you will, uh, in the way technology uh, affects us in kind of a neuroscience uh, sort of way. And this will dovetail into what you want to talk about, Chris, uh, which is I think people need to realize the way, obviously technology has all sorts of benefits. Right now, Chris and I would not be talking uh, without the benefits of, of Zoom. We are currently Zooming, uh, Chris and I, and we're using technology to do this. And we've done this before. Uh, and uh, those of us in education, the pandemic are using technology a lot uh, and it has its upsides to it. But what are the downsides, which is um, uh, the way it, the technology enters into our lives? You know, our brains crave stimulation. It craves novelty. Our brains uh, uh crave what is new uh, and what 
technology does is it is it habituates us to constant stimulation, right? And so most yep. most of us by now have had that experience of, you know, you're reading something and you're, it's hard it's hard for you to pay attention because you're thinking about you know, what the next tweet is. Did I get a text? What's the latest Snapchat? And that distraction, right? And part yep. of that is because our brains through our technology become habituated to new, something new, something new, something new. And yep. even the way that a lot of our applications are designed, it's designed us to get, I'm cautious about using the word addiction because yep. I think it's probably a little bit strong, but it's close to an addiction that our brains actually get used to the constant stimulation of, like I say, the next text, the next snap, snap at the next update on Facebook or Instagram. And we literally start to crave it. Our brains crave. We get a little dopamine rush yep. when we get yep. new information. And so we get into these habits. I think we we all, almost all of us experience this, this point of this, this inability to focus. Well, why is that a problem? When we introduce that, say, into our family lives, you know, the way technology, for example, interferes with communication and conversation, um, the way you know you, you, we have a, have a hard time sustaining a conversation because one eye yeah. is always on the next thing. Uh, is I got one eye in my email, I got one eye in my phone, or it's hard for me to engage in a conversation with someone who's there because half of my brain is thinking about something else. Right? What else? What else I could be doing? You know, there's an old Jerry Seinfeld joke uh, that men are not interested in what's on TV about what else is on TV, right? <laughs> this is a joke about how men like the, pop, like the power flip. We, we all have sort of habituated ourselves to that. We're not interested in, in what we're doing, but what else we could be doing. Right. Uh, because there's always something really interesting, only a click away, whether it's on our phones, on our computers, on our televisions. And that distracts us from having interactions with our families, yeah. uh, our, our, our prayer life, because... You know, I, I could be reading today's scripture, but, you know, there's something a lot more interesting there. I got to reach level 42 on Candy Crush, right? Right. Uh, that's, <laughs> much more, that's much more fun than uh, doing morning prayer. Um, yes. And so this this interferes with, with us. And I think this is where the obstacle comes in is that it, it breaks down our relationships with friends and families because yep. we get distracted or things that our brain would rather be doing because it's a lot more fun, at least in the immediate sense. Yep. Uh, it's not as fulfilling, which we talk about, but it's a lot more fun in the short run uh, to be goofing around doing something than uh, focusing on somebody's conversation. There's all sorts. I Let me just recommend people look into some books by Sherry Turkle uh, from MIT. Um uh, she's got a book called Reclaiming Conversation that I can recommend. And then two books yeah. by Nicholas Carr. Nicholas Carr has really influenced on me thing on, on me on these things. One is uh, the book, The Shallows, about what the internet is doing to our brains. And then he's got another book called, um, oh, what's it called? The Glass. Uh, it's the Glass something. I, it's around in my office here. I'm, I'm frantically looking for it because I can't remember what it is. It's The Glass something, uh, which is about how automation um, uh, influences uh, our ability to keep our skills and our brains honed, so to speak. And a lot of it is about affecting how we have relationships. I think that's probably what you and I are more yeah. interested in. in, in, in this yeah, 
And another another resource that has been really making the rounds, I have heard it commended from many, many folks, is this uh, Netflix documentary called The Social mm-hmm. Dilemma. Yeah. Um, I don't want to pony up uh, for a month of Netflix, and I don't think they do a free trial. But I've heard it's a very, very powerful yeah. documentary um, that has I, changed I, a lot of people's thinking. I've heard good things about it. Um, like many people, I canceled my Netflix when they had the uh, – the, the yeah. cuties uh, controversy. We yes. uh, we needed to pair back our streaming anyway. This is you know, part of the problem. Uh, yep. is, uh how many streaming uh, services we subscribe to, and so my family needed to pair back anyway. And this was an excuse uh, when Netflix did this slightly child pornography uh, influence thing. So we canceled it. But if you've got Netflix, uh, I understand this is a, this is a good resource, and it probably is covering a lot of the bases that I'm, that I'm talking about. So. Yeah. Another, another piece, actually, it was maybe five or so years ago. One of the first writers that really got me thinking about the ways in which we need to just um, think about how we're using technology is a woman named Patricia Snow. She wrote Absolutely. an article in yep. first things called look at me. Yep. Um, and she just gives us, shares this little anecdote of, of parents that are in the grocery store or in the living room and who are not responding to their child's yes. requests for attention. Yes. Because, you know, you're swiping or you're on the phone, you're you're kind of zoomed into this little black box. Meanwhile, your child is daddy, 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 yep. look at me. Yep. Um, which is, of course, what our children want. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, watch me. Um, so again, that's not to say that, uh, we throw technology out. I happen to be sitting in the parking lot of Perkins in Watertown right now yeah. <laughs> as, as yep. we're talking and recording this conversation, but we just, to be aware of the ways in which technology yeah. does impact our, our faith and family life. You know, well, one of the thing, if I can butt in just a little bit, Chris, sure. I, I just cited that Patricia Snow article and something I was writing yesterday. Uh, oh, it's, it's it's a great piece and Powerful. what she's talking about and this is where the neuroscience is really on her side is she writes about the way technology uh kind of encourage us uh, it, it, to enter into a kind of a semi-autistic state now, of course yes. people who suffer from autism part of their problem is their inability to read people and the, mm. the inability to engage in social action and when we use our technology, and, and uh, a writer who again who's also influenced me is, is Matthew Crawford, in his second book, um, uh, "The World Beyond Our Heads," he has a whole section there where he draws on research uh, that a, a, a scholar did on gambling on casinos, and casinos are designed to really yes. make make your brain go numb you to lose track of time and to lose track of other people. So you simply sit at the machine and gamble, gamble, gamble. And our devices use the neuroscience and the psychology that the casinos have figured out. And they use it to try to get your brain to enter into a semi-autistic state where you lose track of people, you lose track of time. Again, we've all had it where you're goofing around on your phone or on your computer and the next thing you know, an hour has passed by and you go, how many YouTube videos did I watch? Yeah. Uh, you know, how many TikToks did I, did I work my way through? Because, oh, just one more, just one more, just right. one more. And the next thing you know, you've lost an hour of your time because you've been goofing around 
uh, on a game or YouTube or TikTok or something. And, it, and, it, and it's intentional. We have to know this. It's intentional on the part of the people who are creating the apps and the websites that we use. And we have to be, you know, as Chris just said, we are using this technology yeah. right now, but we really have to be aware of of what we're doing when we use this technology it is it is not a benign or neutral thing it's it's got a malignancy to it yeah and what when you mentioned too just kind of cruising through youtube videos or tiktoks and you just it's just sort of repeating itself and before you know it hours have gone by this brings to mind you know, we we think of these seven deadly sins these vices mm-hmm. and and we have the word sloth Yep. But that's that's actually rooted in in a in a kind of a classical yeah. vice that we would call asadia or achadia. I'm not quite certain yep. sure how we can pronounce it. But can you maybe describe what what exactly how do we understand this vice, asadia, and then how does technology maybe um, kind of ease us into that if we're not careful? Absolutely. So yeah, classically. Uh, I pronounce it acedia. People do pronounce it differently. Let's go with acedia for our conversation. Um, acedia is a vice that often in our day gets associated with one of the seven deadlies, as you said, of sloth. But acedia is not what we normally think of as sloth, which is sort of a laziness, laziness yeah. or lethargy. What it really is, what acedia is, is a distraction from one's duties, especially yep. one's spiritual duties. So there is mm. uh, an, a, a, an ancient monk, a vagaris of Pontus, uh, who wrote a lot. He called uh, Asidia the noonday devil, uh, which again, I was, apparently I've misplaced all my books. I was scrambling for, a, 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 there's a fine book by a French Benedictine whose name is Jean, G-J-E-A-N, Jean Charles, and I think it's Nault, N-A-U-L-D-T. And it's simply called the noonday devil because that's yep. what, uh, Evagrius called Asidia the noonday devil. And Asidia can manifest itself partially in laziness, what we normally think of as laziness or procrastination, but also in busyness, yep. right? And distress. we're doing lots of stuff. If think of the classic thing of, of today, one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that we can multitask, right? Yep. That I'm gonna check my email and I'm gonna talk to my kids. I'm going to, here, here's something I do all the time. Um, I'm going to read and have the baseball game on. Uh, <laughs> I always tell myself I can do it. And what happens is what I'm doing is two things poorly. Um, yeah. I'm not really watching the baseball game and I'm not really reading. All right? And what Acedia is, is this vice of this distraction from our duties and especially our spiritual duties. And... Uh, and it can, as it manifests itself in laziness and busyness. And what technology does is it stirs us up. It makes us anxious. It makes us, we're thinking about, yeah. uh, again, that next text, that next Snapchat. And instead of focusing on the thing at hand, I'm thinking about these other things, or I'm going to do a little bit of, of, of my duties. And then uh, let me, let me quick check my phone. I'll do yeah. a little bit more. Let me quick check my email. And most of us, and we've got studies, we are distracted by our technology way more than we think we are. Yeah, right? even even just having the phone on, laying yes. face down on the table uh, during dinner with somebody else, 
uh, has shown that a person is distracted by the yes. mere presence of that phone on the table. It kills conversation. Uh, yeah. Simply to have your phone out. Um, and so is Cedia is this, uh, oh, it, it really is, or the, a lot of people have been writing about this in the last handful of years, it really might be the disease or the sin of our time, the vice of our time, this, yeah. this sin of distraction of I'm doing all these other things. And even that, that feeling of agitation that we get, that anxiety when I'm, I'm reading a book and then I'm like, uh, but what's on the phone? What's, what's going on on Facebook? What else is going on? And I never really focus on say deep reading of a book or deep sure. prayer or deep conversation. I'm always, my brain is always partially somewhere else. And that feeling of anxiety that we get when uh, literally like an addiction, when I need my next hit of technological yep. novelty. And, and the term noonday devil kind of goes back to this Egyptian monk who recognized that when the sun gets high in the sky and it's hot and it's the middle of the day, that's when the monks, their, their mind and, and one could say their spirit is just kind of diffused yep. in all these other places that they want to be aside from their cell praying. Yeah. Um, yep. Which, you know, for us anymore, it's, it doesn't strike right at noon. It strikes maybe first thing when you wake up in the morning and instead of reaching for your devotional, you're reaching to check your, you know, how many likes that I get, or I, I mean, it could be 24 seven really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what is, you know, you, you mentioned that a number of folks have been um, reflecting that maybe this is acedia is the vice of our day. Yeah. And we know that vices, each vice has a corresponding virtue yeah. So what what can we say might be some of the antidotes? You know, at the beginning of our of our conversation, we we brought up the rule of Saint Benedict. Yeah. Is is there an antidote within that that we can discover? Yeah, and I, you know, the the rule of Saint Benedict. Uh, if people want to pick it up, I've I've just got the the, the rule of Saint Benedict in English that uh, the liturgical press in Collegeville, Minnesota, puts out, which you know it's attached to Saint John's Abbey, which is Benedictine. Uh, or I would even suggest uh, just getting um, Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devotional Life, which is a, a, a great book um, that, that gives some really good uh, suggestions on, as the title suggests, on leading a devotional life. And if, if, if the vice is acedia, I think that the, the virtue would be maybe tension, uh, discipline, mm. Uh, even labor, you know, the, 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 so I don't know if it's the motto, but sort of the phrase that the Benedictines use a lot of, of, of prayer and work, right. Mm. Of aura and, and I'll screw up the Latin of aura at uh, labor ends, whatever the, the, the labora. Aura yeah, labora. labora. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Thanks of correcting my Latin, um, but uh, of prayer and work. And so what the rule focuses on is, is a handful of things. Uh, I'll quickly go through. One is so much of the discipline of monastic life is about disciplining your desires, of mm. making sure your desires are rightly ordered, right? Uh, and that would include um, uh, so much of what, you know, the, the, obviously the monks you know, in, in, in the monastery are going through. It's, it's a very liturgical life. You're doing your your uh, liturgy of the hours. So, you know, six times a day or seven times a day, they are entering into prayer, right? 
and at meals, they are doing prayer. So they have regular prayer interspersed with regular work. Uh, so doing things with your hands, manual labor, uh, not being separated from the things of the world. One of the problems of technology is we start to lead kind of a virtual life and yeah. we forget that we are embodied persons and the material world is important to us. And so yes. getting in touch with the material world, then of course, everything that, that, that the Benedictines do, they, they do in community. So obedience to authority that is elected through the community, right, the abbot, and then prayer is done in, in community. Eating is done in community. Decisions are made in community. And so the you know, obviously most of us are not called to monastic life. We're living in the world, which is one of the things I like about Francis de Sales so much is yeah. he understands the devotional life has to be particularized, particularized to what your vocation is. And so he says, if you are a father, you can't take a vow of poverty like a monk. If you are a working person, you can't spend your day in prayer the way right. a religious person does. So we right. have to order our devotional lives. But I think what the order does, what the order of St. Benedict does, what the rule is, I should say, what the rule of St. Benedict does is it encourages us to be intentional to our own lives need to be liturgical of setting aside regular times for prayer, yes. also regular times and spaces that are technology free. Yes. Um, and so a room in your house, probably my suggestion is the kitchen, the dining room is technology free, maybe times of day, or maybe Sunday is a technology free day or between mm. the hours of five and seven when we're normally eating, our household is free of technology. Um, say ahead. a little more, John, say a little more about why Sunday? Why do you bring up Sunday as maybe segregating that as a technology day free? Well, obviously uh, technology free day. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if it's the Lord's day, and I, I should point out, by the way, physician, heal thyself, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm guilty of all these things as <laughs> well. I, I'm always reminded of when, uh, when, when C.S. Lewis wrote Problem of Pain, in his introduction, he says, I, I, I wanted to, I encouraged my publisher that, that we should publish this anonymously, because if anybody who knows me reads about how I'm writing about how to deal with suffering, they'll know I'm a complete hypocrite, that I, yes. I don't follow any of these things uh, that I'm suggesting for everybody else. So yeah. I have these same problems uh, myself, but Sunday, of course, is the Lord's day. Yes. And so we should be spending that day not in distraction, but it's it's a time to spend time with your family. It's a time yes. to obviously spend time in prayer. It's our day of, of, of obligation to Mass. Uh, but maybe doing something else besides distracting ourselves with technology. Now, we all yeah. know technology is almost impossible to completely get away from uh, yeah. in our day and age. But I think a lot of it is what, what the rule of St. Benedict can do for us is it, it, it's trying to order, like I say, it, it's trying to create a liturgical life. Yes. What creation of alternative habits. <laughs> and this has to be done intentionally. Because, you know, Chesterton says the only thing that, you know, the thing that flows with the river is a dead dog, right? Yep. A live dog swims against, and we have to be swimming against the culture, right? Flannery yep. O'Connor, push back against the culture as much as it pushes against you. And so we need to be disciplined. 
and and to set aside particular and Sundays as good a day as any to say this is going to be either it's a technology free or an extremely technology limited day. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I think that we need to be thinking about these things to in recognizing how much technology is a temptation to vice for us. Uh, yeah. And and that's what I'd want to want to get across. And again, it starts with me and you and and, and especially when we were our devotional and family life, making sure that we are mitigating the effect of technology on our lives. Well, and so much of what I what I'm hearing is you're sort of describing this Benedictine order and rhythm to one's life. Yes. It's it's a it's a it's a rhythm that's conducive to to contemplation of higher yes. things. Yep. Um, and, and the great contribution, I think, of Francis de Sales, and for, for anybody who's, who's never heard of him, I encourage you to pick up this book. This is a spiritual classic, Introduction to the Devout Life or the Devotional Life. Francis de Sales is really a forerunner by four centuries, I think, in many ways, of the Second Vatican Council's universal call to holiness mm-hmm. that every person, because Francis de Sales is writing for lay people, who he recognizes are not monks. They're not religious. They're not priests. We're living in the world. But even living in the world, recognizing that we have uh, an apostolate, we have an activity, we have a way that we're living out our Christianity as lawyers or professors um, or carpenters or teachers or whatever it may be, but there's still a contemplation of higher things that is necessary to our full living um, as Christians in the world. So bravo, professor, we've yeah. got a, I kind of want to close the loop with a, um, close the conversation down. We've got a couple minutes left here with, uh, you, you're a professor of political science. This mm-hmm. show is called faith and politics. Mm-hmm. Why is this conversation of interest to a political scientist? Well, part of it, well, what is the definition of politics? Politics, in my view, this is not the popular view in my field, but I have an Aristotelian view of these things. Uh, mm which is how ought we live together? Uh, that's it. That's what uh, the political question is, is. How do we how do we live together for a common good? And technology is so important to who we are as a people today. It influences everything that we do because uh, technology is so ubiquitous. So if we're, if, we're, if we're thinking about how we ought to live together, then technology is, is the political question, which is why I, I, I write about it uh, quite often. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's really well put. And I think, you know, we are, we are departing one age and really entering another, both as Christians entering more of an apostolic era um, with an increased secularism, but even just, we are still at the, the forefront cutting edge of an information age. Yeah. The smartphone I'm holding in my hand was just invented, you know, 12 years ago, the first iPhone came yeah. out. So we're really going to have to grapple with this both as a church, but also as a political body of, of citizens. Um, so Professor Schaff, as always, it's just a, it's just a delight to, to visit with you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me. And I, I'd, I'd encourage just one last thing, parents to start investigating these things. I, I want to put a one little tidbit that, because you mentioned when the iPhone came out, the connection between the release of the iPhone and depression and suicide and anxiety amongst young people is extremely highly correlated and people really need to be aware of with for ourselves and for our children the way technology influences our spiritual well-being uh and to really be intentional about these things that's that's a that's a great point and i do know that um 
uh, Emily Leadham, the new executive director of Catholic Family Services, which which kind of works in the mental health and spiritual health mm -hmm. field, acutely aware of, of this stuff and is starting to think through in a strategic yeah. big way, like how do we how do we help? Um, so uh, really important. thanks again, John. Thanks, Chris. Take care. And th thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in uh, once again. Until next time, live well.